Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody this morning. Welcome to Lindsay Lane East. Let's all stand to our feet as we prepare our hearts to uh, to hear from the Lord through the preaching of His Word. Let's worship together. Um, this first uh, this first song we're going to do is actually new to East, but uh, the message is so true, right? That there's there's joy in this place because God is here. Um, where two or more are gathered in Jesus' name, He will be there also. That's what His Word promises us. So let's worship together. And sing this new one together. Here we go. Praise. 
Father, we're so thankful for who you are and for what you've done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we don't celebrate a dead Savior, a deceased King. We worship and glorify a risen Savior. Someone who can relate with us, who's tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. God, as we grow in our faith, as we become more and more like your son, Jesus, I pray 
that we would always keep your spirit at the center, that we would keep your word in our hearts so that we would be ready to share it with the lost and dying world around us. Father, we thank you for this church, for the families represented here, that though we may all not be brothers and sisters by blood, we are brothers and sisters by Jesus Christ's blood. The family unified under the banner of Christ. What an amazing, powerful revelation that is. That we can do all things through Christ. And so much more if we do them together. So Father, as we open your word and study today, about the discipline of worship, I just pray that if there's a person in this place that doesn't know you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that through this message and through the music and the ministry in this place today, God, that they would be convicted of their sins and would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. God, we love you and we praise you and thank you for this opportunity to worship you. I pray for the heavy hearts in this room, for the unspoken prayers your feet. Set aside all distractions as we open your word together. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. So good to see you this morning. Uh, Glad to have you. Hey, uh, we had an awesome first service this morning. So excited to see folks uh, in the first service, and now I'm excited to see y'all. In the back of the seat in front of you is a card. If you're new here, in the back of that seat is a connect card. If you'll grab that card and fill it out with his, uh, fill out with your information, drop it by Next Steps on your way out today. Um, they'll give you a very free, a free T-shirt. I mean, you can't go anywhere today and find a free T-shirt, except Lindsay Lane East. So thank you all for being here. If you're new, uh, fill that out. And then they also give you some information about our church. We're so thankful that you guys are here. Um, uh, these cards can also be used for prayer requests for your home folk. Uh, fill out that and uh, drop it. You can drop it in the blue bucket. Um, uh, you don't get a t-shirt, but uh, you can give us information or talk, tell us about uh, decisions that you'd like to make. But the last couple of Sundays, we've been moving through um, a series, or the last three Sundays, but the last two Sundays in particular, uh, we've been addressing basic spiritual disciplines that are crucial to the spirit, to our spiritual walk with Christ. Um, two weeks ago, we talked about the importance of God's Word, and we talked about that the, the importance of God's Word, the, the key to living the Christian life is um, is delighting in God's word, delighting in God's word, and uh, finding finding joy in it. And last week we talked about prayer. We saw that uh, the, the prayer that Jesus prayed in Matthew six is is not something that we're just supposed to repeat daily to honor God, but it's actually uh, Matthew chapter six. The Lord's prayer is a prayer that teaches us what prayer is and what it's supposed to include and like what it accomplishes for us. And so um, that was that was last week. The hope behind each of these sermons in this series uh, is that you see the biblical importance behind these things and actually begin to put them into practice, begin to develop a rhythm in your life of Bible study, develop a rhythm in your life of prayer. Um, And on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about some other spiritual disciplines, which are really cool. Uh, So uh, plug for that. Um, The goal for us, though, through the series is for all of us to take steps in these things. And so we're going to wrap up this series by going to Romans chapter 12. So if you've got a Bible with you, open to Romans chapter 12. Uh, that's in the New Testament, just past uh, the, uh, the Gospels and the book of Acts. So you can find there Romans chapter 12. If you were to Google 
on your phone or computer, um, which I don't advise doing right now because uh, you'll get an email and you'll be done for the rest of the service. But if you were to Google right now the word worship, okay, the word worship, and you were to look at the images related to the Google search worship, you would find a bunch of different images, but they would all fit into two different categories. I know this because I did it. The first image that came up was this guy. Um, he's usually a silhouette. He's got his hands up, and he's usually in front of a sunrise or just like crazy, beautiful colors. But it's one dude with his hands up. All right. There's a, the other type of image that you'll see there is a group of people doing this. Right? Like just with their hands up or one hand up. It's usually around a stage with smoke and lights and the word Jesus or a cross or something like that. Like you Google it after church, not right now. Google it later. That's what you're going to find. One guy, a bunch of people. Okay? Now, that's probably not shocking to you because when you think of those, when you think of the word worship, you may think of the same thing. Singing songs of praise, closing your eyes, lifting your hands, whatever it looks like. We can definitely worship God through song. I hope you just have as we've been singing these songs together. If you lifted your hands, if you closed your eyes, praise God for that. But that's not all that the Bible tells us that worship is. In fact, what we're going to see today is that if you were to, go, in, in a biblical way, if you were to Google the word worship, what you should see is really boring stuff. Like you on your way to work. You having lunch with a coworker. You inviting your neighbors over for supper. Right? Like, because all of those things are worship when they're done in the right way. And that's what we're going to talk about today is what is worship biblically and how can we develop a, a, a lifestyle of worship? That's what we're going to, hopefully, we'll all walk away today with next steps in that direction. So I'm going to read the passage that we'll be studying, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. Um, I'm going to read that um, all the way through. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come back and talk about it, okay? Let's go. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, according to the grace we have different gifts. If prophecy use it according to the proportion of one's faith. Let me pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you um, that through your spirit we can understand it. And God, I pray that today, um, God, as we walk through this, uh, the, these six verses, or really even the first eight verses, really, um, God, that you just help us to understand. Um, God, you'd help us to apply these texts to our to our heart in regards to worship, and God, that the outcome of of today's message that you've laid on on my heart, God, as pastor, would be a, a church full of people living out their faith through a lifestyle of worship this week wherever they go. Uh, God, we ask you today to teach us to know you, and that you would be with us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, there's so much here. And so let's get started. Note, if you're a note taker, point number one is this. Uh, we're going to look at the sacrifice of worship. What we're going to see is that worship involves sacrifice. Look at verse one. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, if you the mercies of God, urge you, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And I don't always have the time to do this because we've got to get to lunch, right? Because you'll be mad at me. You'll start getting hangry. Um, I don't always have time to go into really depth of why the therefore is therefore, right? But every time you see the word therefore in the text, you need to recognize it is there for a reason. And you need to take note of that. And so when you study this, if you study the whole book of Romans, what you're going to see is that a lot of people will say that the word therefore really points back to everything that's already happened. Because the word therefore, what is it does is it takes something that I'm about to say and points it back to something that's already said. That's what the therefore does, Okay. And so a lot of people will say that this word, therefore, just points back to the whole previous 11 chapters, uh, which is kind of a cop-out. It's okay, but there's something else in verse 1 that I think we should draw our eye to. Again, as we're reading Scripture, we're looking for things that stand out. And when you read verse 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, that should stand out to you as well. If you're not familiar with the word mercy, it's very similar to grace, which you may have you know, been more familiar with. They're both an undeserved act. Mercy and grace are both an undeserved act. Um, I've heard it said this way, grace is giving someone a gift they don't deserve. Mercy is not giving someone a gift that they do deserve. Uh, the really dumb example that I used in the first service was um, if uh, Alan Dobbs, were to punch me in the face after the service, okay? Just walk up and punch me. And I handed him a $10 bill. That's grace. Because I think we could all agree, Alan doesn't deserve any of my money for punching me in the face, right? Like, he's a jerk. But I gave him $10. That's grace. That's giving him something that he does not deserve. Now, what does Alan deserve? Well, he, he, he may deserve to be wrestled to the ground and punched back. I don't know, okay? I don't know. But I'm not giving him that. I'm giving him a $10 bill, but I'm also, by giving him that, I'm not giving him maybe what he does deserve, which is at least being called a jerk, okay? Um, Alan would never do that. And so that's the difference. Mercy is not giving of something. Grace is giving of something. So they've often been thought of as the, like the, the, the sides of the same coin, especially in regards to salvation. Because when you think about salvation, what does God give us that we don't deserve in salvation? He gives us a, a connection with the Creator. You don't deserve that. I don't either. He gives us uh, eternal life. We don't deserve that. He gives us an indwelling of the Spirit. His literal life-giving Spirit comes and fills you. You don't deserve that. I don't either. That's grace. That's God's grace to us by giving us things we don't do. However... In salvation, there are also things that God doesn't give us that we do deserve. Right? Like separation from God. That's what I deserve. You deserve it too. We deserve to be separated from God. We deserve eternal punishment, not eternal life. And we deserve emptiness and, and, and just a, a total um, lack of direction in our lives. Like that's what sin does to us. And that's what we deserve is to be carried down that path. But because of grace and mercy, we experience something very different. Now, both these themes, grace and mercy, have been all throughout the book of Romans to this point. And I know this isn't a study of Romans, but if you were to go and look through the first, chapter, first 11 chapters, what you're going to see is over and over again, 
maybe even more so than Paul's other letters, is the ideas of grace and mercy. And I believe it's because Paul talks so much about sin. Romans 1 is just just a, a theology of what it looks like for us as sinners to be separated from God. But I think um, two of the verses that are most popular, popularly, eh, two of the verses that are most quoted and most memorized um, are Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. And oftentimes we remember them because of the bad part, the part about sin. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, that stinks. That's bad news. But we never read verse 24. What does verse 24 say? They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're seeing there grace. Now what does Romans 6.23 say? For the wages of sin is death. That stinks. That's what we deserve. We deserve death because of our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do we see there? We see grace and mercy. What do you deserve? You deserve death because of your sin, but God doesn't give you that. That's mercy. In fact, he gives you something even greater. That's grace. And so all throughout the book of Romans, we're seeing this idea. And then we get to Romans 12.1. And Paul says, Therefore, in view of the mercies of God, do this. Because of everything I've just said, because God is so great and his grace and his mercy are overwhelming, therefore do this thing. And what is that one thing he says? Go to church. Right? Tithe. Right? Serve. What, what does he say? Be a good person. He says, in view of the mercies of God, sacrifice yourself. Sacrifice yourself. That's because of everything God has done, everything that Paul's laid out, because of the mercy and grace of God, we are called to sacrifice ourselves. The exact word he says is offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just as Christ has done for you, so you should die for him. By this point, the word sacrifice is a loaded term. Okay? To the Jews who are in the churches in Ro- the, the church, house churches in Rome, they're going to think about what? Those poor little goats and sheep and pigeons and turtle doves and parrots or what, you know, like all these animals. I don't think parrots is in there. But all these animals that they've been killing, like that's what they think about as a sacrifice. Something comes in, it bleeds out, and it's oftentimes burned as a sacrifice. What are the, what are the Romans? So there's a lot of people that are in these house churches in Rome at this point that aren't Jewish. Like they were raised in a in the Roman world, <laughs> and they're used to the word sacrifice as well, but it's got a very different connotation. It's much more sacrifice to them involves oftentimes something dying, but it also just involves awful acts, sinful acts. But there's always death. Sacrifice always involves death. But Paul says here. Praise God he added the word living before sacrifice. Amen. You can wipe the sweat off your brow. You didn't come in here today and we're going to kill you all. Like that's not the point, right? The point is that's not God's not called us to, to, to die for him physically unless that happened. Not today anyway. Like, but he, he's, he's called us to stop living for ourselves and live for God. To be a living sacrifice. Worship of God 
I believe, begins where we end. Do you see that? Worship of God, true worship, begins where you and I end. When we begin to recognize that my life is not important, my life is not the reason I'm living anymore, that's when worship can happen. That's that's when worship can happen. Um, When we do it this way, I believe everything everything we do can be worship. Everything. Then driving in your car can be worship. Inviting your coworker to lunch, inviting people over to your house, loving your neighbors, like all of those things, everything that you and I do can be done in worship. I read a commentary this week, um, and it's worded in a fancy, it uses words that maybe we don't use every day, but uh, it's really good. So I'm going to read it. Christian worship does not consist of what is practiced at sacred sites, at sacred times, and with sacred acts. It is the offering of bodily existence in the otherwise profane sphere. Most other religions in the world, are worship occurs at, at sacred sites, at sacred times, and at sacred acts. That's what other religions do. Christian worship is not that. Christian worship is just standing before God and saying, here you go. I don't, you, don't have to make, you don't have to make a trip to the Middle East. You don't have to pray at certain hours of the day for a certain length of time. You don't have to, there's not certain acts that we have to do. What God is calling us as Christians to give to him is everything. Our whole selves, our lives. What we do here at church, we can call that worship. We can. If it's done with the heart of sacrifice. Worship is more than singing. It's more than lifting our hands. It's more than closing our eyes. It is a lifestyle of sacrifice, choosing the glory of God over self in everything. So, the sacrifice of worship. Worship always involves sacrifice. Number two, um, the heart of the worshiper involves separateness. So, about the separateness of worship, okay? Look again at verse two. I'm not jumping somewhere else in the Bible, Okay? I'm not blending verses together to put this sermon together. I'm simply showing you what the text says. Let's look at verse 2, what comes after verse 1, right? Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. From the very beginning of creation, you will find that human beings are easily swayed Human beings are easily influenced. Go back all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve listened to a snake. Track that all the way through the book of Genesis. People continue to allow other people in their lives to speak in and affect the way they act, the the way they feel, and the things they do. Over and over and over again. The natural draw of humans is to allow others to affect the way we feel. This morning before the first service. Um, I'm a naturally goofy guy. Uh, doesn't always come out on stage maybe. Probably does more than I realize. But I'm a naturally goofy guy. Um, I had a three-year-old tell me this morning, stop being weird. Yeah, I was acting goofy. About, uh, and Deacon Lyons, little three-year-old, he said, stop being weird. And I was like, yes, sir. Like That made me feel about this big, right? Like I had a three-year-old, but 
And we can allow, and that's a terrible example because honestly, I mean, he's a three-year-old. But I, I do allow, right? The way people speak about me and the things people do around me, it does affect me, and I wish it didn't. Right? That's what, I'm, that's what I'm, I'm becoming more like Jesus. We're working on that. But we can easily be conformed to this age, to this time, to this culture that we're in. It's easy to do. It's going to happen naturally unless we fight against it. Paul helps the Roman believers that he's writing to recognize that if they're going to live a life of worship, if this life of sacrifice is going to happen, they cannot let others tell them how to live or influence them. He says, do not be conformed to this age. Do not allow yourselves to become like the world. And I think that's good advice for us. Because I don't know if you've noticed, the world around us is not following Jesus. That's the truth. Okay? I don't care what your household looks like. I know, uh, you know, I don't know what school you go to. Even if you homeschool your kids, like, you can, you can shut the door. Your neighbors next door are probably not following Jesus. Like, that's as close as you got. You got family members who are not following Jesus. You cannot, we cannot shelter ourselves enough. As much as I want to keep my kids right here. I cannot shelter them enough from the fact that the world we live in is broken. We were talking about that last night at the, with the blacks. Just the world we live in is broken. It's messed up. And we can't, we can't, we can't always, as much as I want my kids to, um, to, to not have to face those things, they're going to. And so there's this idea of not being conformed to this age. But it's not just about that, because if, if that was it, if Paul just said, don't be conformed to this age, and that's what I would call try-hard theology. That means you just keep trying, you just keep doing, and then you'll make God happy. But there's a second part of this. He says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's not just about not being conformed, it's about being transformed. And the word conf- not being conformed definitely is like, that verb falls on your shoulders. Like that verb is very much about you. You do, don't do this. The word transform though, let me just take it off your shoulders. <laughs> because the word trans, be transformed is very passive. That's not something you do, it's something is done to you. It's used four times in the New Testament. Once in 2 Corinthians three, eighteen, in a somewhat similar way as we see here in Romans 12, where it's something that happens to you with, because of God. But it's used two other times. Um, uh, about Jesus. Uh, during Jesus' ministry, at one point, um, he goes up on a high place and he's there with uh, his closest disciples. And they, he says, hang on a minute. And he goes up a little further and the Bible says that he is transfigured before their eyes. Now, there's no explanation of what in the world that means <laughs> other than he something happened to Jesus there. And he actually, they begin to see two of the prophets of the Old Testament there talking with Jesus. So a trippy little moment, right? But they're seeing Jesus and this, and there's something that happens to Jesus' form, his, his figure, his, 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 who he is, that was totally different than what they had just seen. God had, had transfigured, or as we see here, transformed Jesus right before their eyes. So much so that they could never look at him the same. This is what is the opposite of the conforming to the world. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Instead, allow God to make you look different. Allow God to make to transform you. Now, as you read the rest of Paul's letters and even the rest of Romans, what you're going to realize is more of what Paul's driving home. Again, no text in the Bible can just be read 
and like it's just its own little private book. This means this. We've got to read everything in light of the rest of everything. When Jesus in his ministry, John chapter 3, Jesus, uh, a man comes to Jesus, a uh, uh, Pharisee, and he said, dude, you're teaching crazy stuff, man. Tell me about what, tell me what I'm missing. And Jesus said, you need to be born again. That's what he tells him. You need to be born again. And, Paul, and Jesus begins to, to describe to him what that looks like. And it's something that happens of God. It happens of the Spirit. He makes you new. It's a new birth that is needed to be saved. And Paul begins to flesh this out in his ministry, his writings. And we find out that this new birth is an instantaneous act that happens at your salvation in which your dead, spiritually dead body is made alive. What you could not do before in regards to, to sin and loving God, you can now do with the Spirit's help. An instantaneous act. This is the new birth. The Spirit not only comes to fill you, but to give you new life. But the way Paul talks about transformation here is different from that, isn't it? Because the conforming isn't something that happens overnight. Right? I don't watch one movie at home and go, I'm going to be like the Godfather. Why did that thing pop in my head? That's a... Anyway... Like, I don't watch a movie and immediately go, I'm going to just abandon everything I live for, every, every instinct, and I'm going to become like this. Conforming is something that happens over time, correct? So if we're not supposed to do this thing that happens as a process, then I believe Paul is, if he, Paul's going to connect transformation to con, conformation, confirm it, the conforming. If he's going to connect those two, then the transformation must be something that happens over a process too. It's something that happens over time, a process. Of, it's the opposite of conforming to the world. Paul would call this in other places being sanctified, right? Being sanctified, or he says in other places, being made like Jesus. Being conformed to the image of Jesus, not conformed to the image of the world. This is a lifelong process that every believer is on. Part of that process is learning with the Spirit's help inside of us, how we can live, as we saw in number two, separate from the world. Separate from the world and for Christ. This involves talking in a way that honors Christ instead of talking the way the world talks. This means going and doing things that are different in the way in which the world does. This means serving others for the sake of them and God instead of serving others for yourself. All of these things. This is what... This is, this is it, and the idea behind that is renewing your mind. That's what Paul says, right? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Allowing God to change the way you think, literally. And this creeps you out a little bit. It creeps me out. Reprogramming your mind. Reprogramming, brainwashing, use whatever term you want. It, it weirds you out. But do you act and react in godly ways every time? No. Well, guess what? You need to be reprogrammed. They need to we need to take that little that uh, they need to take a paper clip. You know those little reset buttons on devices? That little tiny you gotta take that little paper clip and you gotta push it and push that little button inside that. That's what we all need. 
What I'm telling you is that it, most, now there are people that will tell you there's a transformation that happens in a moment and nothing was ever the same for them and they never look back and that's awesome. But, but for a lot of us, that, that, that transformation, the looking like Christ, that's going to happen over a lifetime. It's going to take time to be conformed to the image of Christ. We need our brains to be reprogrammed. And I'm just going to tell you, the worst, that the thing that will affect, all right, hold on a second. I'm getting ahead. Look at number three. Separateness from worship. Not conforming with the Spirit's help, but allowing God to transform. Point number three. The selflessness of worship. I'm fixing to jump to something good, but hang on for a second. Romans 12, 3. Let me read it to you. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you, all y'all, not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly like a normal person as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. The one thing that will fight against your desire to worship God more than anything else is your pride. It is. Now, here's the thing. Pride is a natural thing. You do it without thinking about it. You protect yourself. You live for yourself. It is a natural reaction of our flesh. But church, it's sinful in every single context. Pride will distract and detract from any, pro, from any reprogramming of your mind that has occurred. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with y'all, confession, past, pastor, pastoral confession time. I've been in a worship service singing songs of praise to God and lifted my hands, okay, in worship out of a pure desire to worship God more honestly. And three seconds into having my hand in the air, a thought comes into my mind and says, I wonder if people see me with my hand up. See how dumb this is? But this is what pride does. Pride takes something that is genuine worship and blows it up. I've gone on mission trips before and seen God do really cool things through me and through the people I was with. And I come back and I begin to tell the story. And at the beginning, it's, man, isn't God good? Isn't this awesome what God did? But then it's also like, but I was the one he used to do it. Like, uh, it's something that just happens naturally. It's pride and it sneaks in in the, in the moments when we really, even when we're, real actions of worship can be totally derailed by pride. Because what we're seeing here as we move just through verse 1 through verse 3 is that an action is not worship if the heart is centered on self. Not God and others. It was the whole point of the study. We studied 12 weeks through the Sermon on the Mount. 40 to 60% of that was me standing before you every week and saying, it's not about the things you do, it's about the heart behind the things you do. It was the point of every single sermon. <laughs> and the same is true here. What we, The sincerity of our worship is determined by the direction of our heart. The sincerity of our worship is determined by the direction of our heart. If our heart is directed upwards towards God, that's worship. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, if, it's, if your direct, the direction of your heart is towards worship, everything can be worship. If the direction of your heart is towards self and towards pride and towards making you look good, it's impossible for you to worship. Lift your hands all you want, close them eyes all you want, sing loud, rattle this place. No, no worship. There cannot be selflessness. True worship has no part of selfishness. The fourth thing, lastly, amen, the, back, the people say, 
the service of worship. And this is, this is different. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I've preached through Romans 12 a bunch. And what I've never done is preach 1 through 6. I've preached 1 and 2. I've preached 1 through 3. I've preached 4 through 6 or 4 through 8. I've never preached this thing together. But I think there's a reason why we need to. Because they're side by side, for one thing. But I think Paul is trying to get us to see something bigger than just, well, let's read it. Verse 4. Now, as we have many parts in one body, our physical body, and all those parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another according to the grace given us we have different gifts it's interesting that as paul is talking about worship he does not stop at the individual right as paul talks about worship he ties it seamlessly into the idea that we are one body in Christ. I believe what Paul is trying to help us see in Romans 12 is that worship is a naturally corporate thing. And I would argue, I would say, it's an unbiblical argument to say that you don't need the church. And I get it. You can worship God apart from the church. You can. You can worship God. People that aren't connected to a local church, they can worship God. I'm not saying they can't. I've talked to a lot of people, and they say, I can worship on my own. Me and God are good. I don't need that messy thing to church. I've heard that many times over my years in ministry, and what I'll never do is argue that that person is not a believer. I would never do it. But what I will argue is that their worship is not effective. Their worship is not full. Their worship is not as real as God has called it to be. You can worship God on your own, but without being connected to a local body of believers, you're not walking according to God's word. I just want to walk briefly just through these last three verses and just make sure we see some imagery and the analogy that Paul is driving home his message with. He compares a body and the church. So Paul says, in a body there are many parts, with different functions, yet one body. That's the connection. Many parts, different functions, one body. And then he says, in the same way, verse 5, we got a lot of people, a lot of y'all. He's writing to Rome. The church is in Rome. There's a lot of y'all in Rome that love Jesus. Many members. The word, he uses the word members. I think the same way we who are many are what he doesn't use the word. The word he uses there, individual members of one another, there it is. It's parts. It's the same word in Greek. Parts. There are many parts. But then he says in verse 6, beginning of verse 6, with different giftings, different gifts. And that's a loaded word we'll talk about here in a second. But different gifts, but yet one body. So the connection that we're supposed to draw is just as our bodies are made up of many parts with different functions, yet one body, we as the church are called to be many members with different gifts, but one body. So let me help you understand this if you don't know what spiritual gifts are. With the Spirit of, with the Spirit of God at salvation, with the Spirit of God at salvation comes a unique draw and effectiveness 
towards ministry, to be used in ministry, a natural draw and effectiveness. Paul mentions several examples of spiritual gifts here and in other places. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, somewhere in Colossians. All of that. Paul mentions a lot of things. I will argue I'm not sure that it's, it's supposed to be exhaustive. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's supposed to be exhaustive. Like, here are all the spiritual gifts you can have. Or if this is just a sampling of spiritual gifts. But either way, you need to know. I will argue till I'm blue in the face that every believer needs to know the way that you have been gifted by God uniquely to serve others within the church. And the, there's, there's two ways that people can do that. To, uh, the first way is, is by taking like a spiritual gift survey, okay? It's a standardized test that you take, okay? That just helps, helps you kind of narrow down how God may have gifted you. Um, if you've never taken one of those and you'd like to, like, hey, how am I, how am I gifted as a servant church? Take this card, again. I've already talked about it with guests and prayer requests. But you can also fill this out, put your name, give me some way to contact you. That's all I need, name and contact. And then flip it over, and on the back it says, find a way to serve at East. Check that box, drop it in the blue bucket, uh, give it at next steps. What I'm going to do, the first email you'll get from me, say, thanks for your interest in serving at East. How about you fill out this spiritual gift survey, just to let us know and let you know how God may have gifted you. That's the first thing I'll do. So if, if, you're, if you're interested in that, another way, probably the best way, um, it's just a little bit harder, takes a little bit more time, is to sit down and read all the passages on spiritual gifts and, and learn um, study it deeply, and then prayerfully consider with the help of others speaking into your life uh, which way God may have gifted you. But um, either one of those ways that, that just please find out the way that you're gifted. But what's awesome is Paul doesn't just say, I will say you need to know your spiritual gift. Paul says you also need to use it. Uh, Paul says if you've been, at the end of verse 6, he says if you've been gifted in prophecy, then, then doggone use it. And then he goes through the rest of verse 8, bringing up different spiritual gifts, and he says use it, use it. Use the gifts you've been given. There's a novel idea, right? Don't be the one guilty of sitting on your gift and not using it. If you're given a higher dose of mercy, of, of compassion, use it to build up the body of Christ. If you've been gifted with leadership, use it to build up the body of Christ. If you've been gifted with the ability and the willingness to give most, more than most of us financially, then use it to build up the body of Christ. Those are spiritual gifts. Teaching, shepherding, like whatever. Use your gift. That's what it looks like to be part of the church. All of us using our gifts together for the glory of God and us, our neighbors and the nations. And I will, I'll say that to not use your gift is to not be part of the body. To not use your gift is not to be part of the body. And so there's one more thing to note in verse 5, and it gets a little creepy. Um, there are creepy things in the Bible. It's okay. Paul says that we are individually members of one another. Now, Paul only uses this language three times in the Bible. Um, he uses it to refer to our union with him. Right? Uh, there's a prayer that Jesus prays towards the end of his ministry um, where Jesus says, Father, as you and I are one, make them one with me. Right? There's this union with Christ. And I talked about it last week and probably the week before, so I won't go into it now. But we are, we are brought into a union, an eternal union with Christ. Now, so that's one connection, but that's not what Paul says. Then there's the husband and wife connection. It goes all the way back to Genesis 2. 
A husband and wife become one flesh, a connection, a, a, long, a lasting connection. Paul talks about that um, as well, but that's not what Paul said either. He said that we are one with one another here, right now. Like you're part of me and I'm part of you. It's creepy, right? Especially if you're married <laughs> and you know how that connection works. But anyway, like the, how some of the complexity and the intensity of the marriage relationship and our union with Christ is similar to that of the relationship that's supposed to be here. And I'll, like, it's a good plug for groups. You know, get that all the time, but. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be wed, you need to know who you're married to, right? I'd argue before you marry somebody, get to know them. <laughs> well, some of y'all signed up to be married to us and joined this church, and you didn't know everybody. Surprise! <laughs> uh, we're here. So join a group and get to know people. Get to know who you're married to here. Get to know who you are called to be one with here at East. Get in a group. Paul's helping his readers see that if you are planning to worship God, you need to be active in his church. You need to be connected to the members, what he calls the parts, and you need to be serving in some way. If you don't know where to start, I think I've already held this thing up twice, but here it is again. Mark it on the back, looking for a place to serve. Wait, find a way to serve at East. Mark that. Uh, we'll find a place for you to serve on your schedule. It's so important. So we've talked about now, the, the sacrifice of worship, the separateness of worship, the selfishness of worship, now the service of worship. So I want to just quickly go through those. If you're planning to worship God this week, let me remind you of what the text just said. The first thing is that worship is sacrificial. Worship is sacrificial. If you plan to worship God this week, you must give of yourself for others. It's a heart of sacrifice that leads our worship. But worship is not just sacrificial, it's also about separateness. It's about living separate and a holy life. If you're walking the same way everybody else is on, I will argue, raise your hands if you would like. Sing if you would like. Try to do right things if you would like. But your worship is being affected by your lack of separateness from the world. A third thing, worship is selfless. If there's any ounce of selfishness in the way that you're worshiping God, it's garbage. It's garbage. We must come to God to worship Him alone. We must do the things in our lives uh, out of service to Him, out of a selfless heart. And the fourth thing, worship is service. I believe if you're not connected to a local church, I'd encourage you to because I believe your worship's being affected. So come, be a part of this church. Use your gifts in this church or some other church. You won't hear many pastors say that. Like, if you're not getting connected here, go somewhere else. Like I'll, I'll, give, I'll request some places for you to go. I just want you to connect somewhere. If it's here, praise God. If it's somewhere else, I'm okay with that. I'll cry, but it'll be okay. Like, I just want you, I want us all to connect, and because I believe the Scriptures called us to. Worship is about serving 
uh, as part of the body of Christ. And here's the beauty of it all. Each part of this that I just talked about, sacrifice, separateness, selflessness, service, is modeled perfectly in the life and death of Jesus Christ. I'll show you this. His coming, his just coming to the earth was itself sacrificial and that he took on flesh to live as a human just like us, gave up the throne in heaven to take on flesh just like us. His life was about separateness because he lived a perfectly holy life in a sinful world while remaining perfectly sinless. His ministry was selfless, giving to others, never choosing himself over others. Can you imagine that? Never choosing himself over the people around him. And his death was service to all of us because he took our sin on himself and he died, paying the death that we deserved because of our sin. But God raised him up from the dead and gave him new life so that through salvation he could give our dead bodies life. And now Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father as our mediator of grace and our mediator of prayer. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, we'd love to help you walk through that today. During this last song, uh, worship team is going to come up. We'd love to start that conversation with you. Um, you can come let me know. I'll be down front, either right up here or on the front row. Just come and let me know. We'll also have decision counselors by the back door who would love to help you walk through that decision and make sure that you understand what's going on. They'll simply walk you around to one of these classrooms where y'all can have just an honest uh, conversation about that decision. Um, they would love to, to do that. But for those of you who are already believers, let me just ask. Because if you came in and you sat through all this and we all left, like, was it really worship? Was it really beneficial for you? Or could you have just watched Netflix and enjoyed it too? If we don't leave here with next steps, if we don't leave here asking, at least asking the question, God, what am I supposed to do with this? I think we're missing it. So let me just... I'm going to voice a prayer here in a second, but I want you to think about those four areas of worship. What, how is your worship being affected this week? Hopefully you plan to worship God this week through your life. Which of the four areas are you butchering right now? And you may say all four. Okay, don't freak out. Let's start with one. Let's start with focusing on one. Asking God to transform that part of your life then we can move on to another and another and another don't be overwhelmed find a next step today and you may say i'm killing it dude well you need to think about selflessness because you're not killing it you just bragged about it right but whatever it is for you whatever it is how is your worship being affected ask god today uh, so this altar will be open up here for you to pray uh, confess sins to the lord of disobedience this week pray for the hearts and lives of other people around you or you can come and talk to me or decision counselors at the back about any decision that, that, that you're wrestling with. But I'll leave you with that question. What is your next step so that you can worship God fully this week? I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then you guys can stand and sing or respond however you feel led. Father God, we thank you. God, that you have uh, uniquely gifted us, uh, God, to, to serve one another and to serve our community, God. And um, I'm thankful for your word. God, I'm thankful that we can even worship you. Through the blood of Jesus, you hear our prayers, you hear our songs, you hear our worship. Uh, you see our lifestyle, God, as we worship you through that. But God, we know, um, God, I know as the pastor here that I, 
I'm not where I need to be in all four of these. God, I'm still struggling in some of these areas. And so, God, take take away the sins in my heart that are dis- that are distracting my worship, my lifestyle. God, I pray that over everybody here that would deal with you on the areas that we need to. Father, I pray for this time of worship, this time of response during here, uh, responding through worship, God, that you give us clarity of mind to take the next steps we need to, Father. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I'll stand, sing, you respond as God leads.
have a seat. Um, hey, next Sunday, just to remind you, is our, is our Give to Go Sunday. And again, that's a, that's a Sunday that's very important for us going forward. And it's an opportunity for you uh, to take part in the mission of God. Every Sunday is an opportunity for you to, to give to help us make disciples here. Um, but uh, next Sunday is an opportunity for you to give as, as we begin to engage um, or here and around the world. And as we take the influence of, uh, that God has, has developed here and begin to, to spread that out in mission. And so next Sunday is our Gift to Go Sunday. I would encourage you to pray about how you can sacrificially give um, as me and my family are and as we as a staff are um, as leaders in our church. And so uh, please come and be a part of that service, um, whether it's $5 or I don't even want to throw out numbers, whatever, you know, whatever God leads you to do. Um, but it, what I, last week I talked to you guys um, a little bit about uh, some local ministry partners that we're going to be focused on this year. Um, we're praying through what those regional and global partnerships look like. Um, and honestly, even I was, I was texting with Morgan and Trey this week, and, and we're having conversations and still praying through it. Um, so we're, I'm hoping to in the coming days be able to share what those partnerships are, but we're just trying not to rush it. Are y'all okay with that if we don't rush what our partnerships are? Um, but I want you to know what you're offering, what you're giving to next week. It's going to be going to do three things. It's going to be going to train our people in mission. Um, we'll be able to use that, that as a, as a, uh, those funds to be able to help train our people towards sharing their faith, towards engaging with nations, engaging with unreached people. Like we're going to, it's going to be really, really cool. Uh, your funds are also going to be used to help offset the trips that we take in the coming year. Um, so that nobody has to pay full price. Um, of course, that'll depend on how much we take in. That's how much we can offset those trips with. It may just be a dollar, um, but we will. We don't ever want to have to charge somebody full price to go on a mission trip. And the third thing, it's going to pay to go in the hands of missionaries, mission organizations, and church planners um, that are doing really, really cool things that we believe in. And so those three ways are how your money is going to be used. And so I hope to be able to share with you, um, you know, in the in the coming days, uh, when we feel confidence. Um, about who our missions partners are going to be for this coming year when it comes to regional and global. Um, but I'll be sharing more of our mission strategy next Sunday as part of the sermon. So come in and be a part of that next Sunday, and you'll hear some more about um, the overarching thing of how this is going to work. Okay? Kenny's going to come up and hit a couple of quick announcements. Or a bunch. Uh, there's not a bunch. Um, if you see your bulletin, there's a youth dodgeball tournament this afternoon. Uh, your youth know about it. We've been talking about it for two months. But if you've talked to them today and find out they don't know, uh, and they have not listened at all, you can call me, uh, and I will clear up any questions you have. But it's this afternoon. It's $10 to enter their whole team. It's a whole thing. Uh, but you can talk to your youth about that. Uh, he reminds you about October the 3rd. It's a give-to-go uh, offering. We also have a senior adult game day that day, so that's going to be fun. Uh, you'll be hearing from Miss Judy about that if you're in that category. And then last but not least, October the 17th, Lion Farms. Uh, the three campuses we've rented out, Lion Farms, to go and let your family have a good time, play games, get a pumpkin for Halloween, all those things, October the 17th. So those tickets are on sale. They're $7 a piece. Kids two and under are free. Uh, so grab some of those and have a good time that day. And last but not least, it's still given here to keep going uh, with the mission of this church. We have a blue bucket by the back door. It's very fancy. We have an online giving tab, a text giving tab, and my personal favorite, if you would, just mail it to our mailbox because, man, that's awesome because uh, we never get mail here. So I love it uh, when we do, but that's it. So y'all uh, have a great day, uh, and let, let me pray, and y'all can go. Uh, Father God, just thank you so much uh, for being here today. Uh, God, thank you for your word and what we've heard. God, thank you for the worship that we've been through, uh, God, today. So just be with us as we do leave this place, God. I pray we're not the same. 
Uh, God, I pray we talked about uh, you this week. Uh, so just be with us, God. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.